The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I want to welcome back my longtime friend and my old classmate. He's an author, a psychiatrist, a keynote speaker, a coach, so much more. Welcome back, Dr. Mark Goulston. Well, Hackey, it's uh, it's good to see you. And uh, I have a feeling that after this show, uh, we'll be in contact more often. I hope so. I hope so. Not for the reasons we're going to, but why don't, first of all, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience more properly? Because I know you wear a lot of different hats and professorships and everything else. Yeah, well, uh, I, it's interesting. I think one of, the, one of the difficulties I had in medical school, and we went to medical schools together, is I've been curious all my life. And I've been curious, and, and there was no agenda to it. And I've often been surrounded by people who say, well, why are you even thinking about that? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to monetize that? How's it going to blah, 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 blah? And, and I, could, I couldn't help it. Uh, you know, I was, I think as, even as a child, I was the person, and I wasn't rebellious, but I'd say, why? <laughs> why that? And, and, you know, a lot of people in the world will just say, well, don't ask that question. It's how we've always done it. <laughs> and, uh, and I've really been fortunate because uh, uh, I took a leave of absence out of the medical school twice because I just couldn't hack it. <laughs> oh, you're good. And I uh, know, and the time I took off, uh, you know, it wasn't to do laboratory stuff. I was, I was just curious. Uh, the first time I took off, I was probably depressed and confused. And I worked uh, for a liquor distributing company, and I go to the south end of Boston and other parts, and I'd be the one who would uh, put up the Heineken windmill on top of the. Uh, uh, bar uh, on rickety ladders, and I'd see dead rat skeletons up there, and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> and the people I would meet, uh, it was wonderful. And uh, uh, and I kind of got my depression went away, and I kind of got my mind back. And then I came back to medical school, and then it all came back. But it was probably more depression purely than confusion. And so uh, I then uh, took off time and went to a place called the Menninger Foundation, still around in Houston, but back then it was in Topeka. And I grew up outside of Boston. And, uh, and I was able to connect with schizophrenic farm young men and young women, and I could get through to them because I was curious. I was more curious than I got to find the diagnosis. I got to find the treatment. And, and I think people feeling that you were just curious about them versus 
curious about what are you going to do? What's your treatment plan? How are you dealing with those hallucinations? I was just curious. And uh, now, if we fast forward to now, now you have on your plate the ultimate curiosity. Yeah, let's shift to that because I'm about to launch, well, the world's launching me. Something I'm called, I'm dying to tell you. Because the prospect of dying is teaching me much more than living ever did. And I'm just taking it in. I'm I'm creating, uh, I'm stockpiling these videos because I wake up in the middle of the night and I learn three more things. So I'm stockpiling these, I'm dying to tell you videos. They're raw, they're not edited, it's first cut. First, do you want to let the audience in a little bit about? Uh, yeah, I, I can tell you. So, so what I have is a, uh, I've had this thing called lymphoma for a couple of years, and it was kind of in the background. Uh, we were watching it; no, no treatment necessary. And in the past few months, I, I've uh, developed something called high-risk myelodysplastic syndrome (MDS). And they, that came from a bone marrow biopsy. And untreated, which doesn't apply because we've got to treat it sooner or later, it has a life expectancy of between five months to four or five years, you know, median about two years. That's if it's untreated. Uh, and, and what happens, uh, your audience won't know this, but you may remember it from med school. I didn't. (laughs) Uh, So this condition, I have something called 10% monoblasts. And when you get to 20% monoblasts, you go into acute leukemia. And, uh, And the leukemia is tough to treat. So, uh, my option, I is I think what's going to happen is I'll get chemotherapy till we line up what will be necessary for a bone marrow transplant. And and I was told that for my age, I'm 75. Uh, uh, you know, the survival rate for that is uh, 50% because I'm not young. But you know, the survival rate for acute leukemia is much worse. Good news is all my children match as donors. So uh, that's that's taken care of. And I guess what's going to happen is I think they're going to uh, give me chemo to try to bring down those monoblasts while they, uh, you know, while they line up everything that's necessary for a bone marrow transplant. And And if you're listening, you may not know about it, but... It's an organ transplant. They take all your marrow out. So you're very prone to infection. The infections can kill you right, right out of the gate. And then you, you take a donor's stuff from their marrow, stem cells. They put them into you. And you're isolated for about a month in a hospital. And then you wait for those, hopefully, those cells to grow. And they grow in you. and uh, and. Uh, if it works, you know, again, they're optimistic and 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 it's really weird, Hacky. I'm not optimistic or pessimistic. I'm just 
I'm the calmest I've ever been in my life. I'm so calm. But here's one of the lessons that this dying thing is teaching me, is I'm letting people care about me. And I never did that before. And when I feel someone cares about me like you do, I start to cry. And I apologize. And what I'm feeling on my end, and I hope it's not a burden, Hacky, what I'm feeling on my end is a kind of relief letting people care about me, appreciation, and embarrassment. And when I've told people, uh, I'm sorry. Now, maybe you'll be the exception because I know Hacky has that kind of humor about it's it, what they've been saying is uh don't apologize huh it's actually uh it's an honor to care about you mark it's an honor to have someone like you who's helping others by talking like you're talking like writing like you're writing by having your shows, by talking about this ultimate of journeys, when you start talking about death and nobody wants to talk about it, and you can't blame them. And you're looking it right in the eye and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> you know, it's, it's big stuff. It doesn't get bigger than this. This is oh, big. And you're doing good stuff with it. You turned the ultimate bad break into a good break because you are helping so many people. Yeah, you know, it's... I'm not happy about it, but uh, but I'm calmer than I've ever been. Uh, I'm not passive. Uh, but in terms of letting you care about me right now, here and now, when when I've apologized, some people have said, uh, almost like what you said right now, they said, Mark, uh, this is so real. And a number of people have said, I haven't had this real a conversation in a long time. And they appreciate how real it is. Ironic how the surreal can be so real. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is it changes the conversation and it goes wherever it goes. And I hope you'll be fine with that because these people are fine with it. Uh, uh, something else I learned. I, so here's a couple lessons because I have, you know, I have 40 of these little videos and i'm not sure if i'll do anything with them i'm just storing them on uh on my computer uh they're raw they're unedited it's first take but as i said i'll wake up in the middle of the night and i'll write down three things and you know and i'll turn them into episodes so some of my favorite ones that i hope people listening or watching will take to heart i, I shared one of them letting people care now 
I have to say this. If you've been a pain in the rear and a complainer all your life, uh, almost demanding people care about you your entire life, <laughs> what they would like is a break from caring about you. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, but if you happen to be someone who uh, can't stand to burden others, lives to care about others, has trouble letting other people care about them, you know, then, uh, you know, people say they love the feeling of caring about me because, you know, I'm, I'm not hitting on them. I'm not, you know, trying to get something from them. So that was a, a good lesson. The first episode of I'm, I'm Dying to Tell You is called Michelangelo, uh, Michelangelo Dying. And what that, when I talked about is I used to do house calls to dying patients. It's kind of ironic. And some of them, at the end, I would try to help them make peace with their lives. And there was one particularly who was just this iconic, beloved, huge person that the world loved. His private life was kind of a mess. And he liked that I could be direct with him. And I said to him on one of my house calls, you know, you look awful. And I don't think it's because you're dying. You've been dying as long as I know you. What's up? <laughs> he said, I don't think I've done anything important in my life. I said, I said, what? You got a hospital named after you? You got fans? You know, the world loves you? And he looked at me and he had the smile that the world loved. And he said, don't con a con man, especially when he's dying. I've got all the love that money can buy. <laughs> Boy. Boy. And then he said, everything I thought wasn't important is. And everything I thought was important isn't. And I don't have time to fix that. So, you know, you, you do house calls to dying patients. You, you collect a little bit of wisdom. You never know that you're going to need it someday yourself. So Michelangelo dying is just like he said, I saw the angel and the marble and I carved till I set it free. I've identified what's unimportant in life. And there's so much that's unimportant in life that we do. And I have just surgically cut it off. And if you can identify what's unimportant and just get rid of it, what is truly important glows. It glows. So I just want to share that with you. And again, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't have listened to me. I'd say, well, I feel bad for the guy, you know. You know, sorry that he's dying, but that's not for me. But I'm just trying to share these things because to me, they're uh, they help. Listen, they're they are helpful to others. That's the name of the game that you grasp. And I'm so honored that different brains that you are bestowing this wisdom upon us so that we can share this you know because it's not every day <laughs> it's ironic to even say it's once in a lifetime kind of thing and 
here you are, and you're making it look easy. You're not even breaking a sweat, pal. Well, that's what I'm trying to explain. Uh, here's something else that I think is practical. So one of the other episodes is called Visionary Dying. I had a mentor named Warren Bennis. You know, most of your listeners or viewers won't know the name, but anybody in leadership knows that. He was he was to leadership what Steve Jobs was to computers, you know, and he was universally respected and loved. And I remember years ago we were talking about how a visionary thinks. So this can apply to Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and to someone who's dying. And the three Ds, and you might want to write this down. You don't have to, but everyone I tell it to writes it down. Right, baby. Because, you know, earlier today, I was writing down some thoughts that stuff I've learned that's really important. And I thought I would just start jotting a few things down. So I'm going to write this down on that list. Go ahead. So here are the three D's of the way Steve Jobs or Elon Musk thinks. The first D is you define reality beyond what other people can even imagine. So Steve Jobs defined reality. One of these days, everyone's going to have a desktop computer. Elon Musk said, one of these days, people are going to uh, uh, you know, have batteries in their cars. You know, and, and so they can see beyond what people can imagine. The second D is you declare your intention to do it. I don't know how we're going to make those computers or those cars, but we're going to do it. And the final D is you decide on a strategy about how you're going to do it. So I've used these three Ds for visionary dying. So the first one is hopefully I won't die tomorrow uh, and I still got some time, but I've defined what a really good and peaceful death is. And here are some elements. The main elements are, I really don't want a lot of pain and suffering. Um, second, I don't want to be a burden to people. Uh, one of my mentors, he had a mentor who had this saying, uh, a good death is dying so as to be a, as little a pain in the ass to your friends and family. <laughs> so I don't want to be a burden to people. Third thing is apparently I'm the, I guess I'm a creative, but I'm the visionary lead on about eight projects. I can't do anything other than be creative and, you know, but they, I have teams and they're just saying, we're going to build this. One team who, you know, unfortunately has fallen in love with me and they, uh, 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 and they say, and they've created a Mark Goulston bot and you can ask it anything and I'll answer it. And they can do it for other people. They're doing it as a legacy project for me because I have 10 books, 1,200 articles, you know, 700 podcasts. So I get a lot of content out there. And there's ways to get that content and you turn it into a bot. 
And so, uh, and so, you know, I'm kind of key to that project. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, so as little pain and suffering as possible, be as little a burden as possible to other people, tie up loose ends. Oh, that the, estate planning is a pain in the neck. Oh, yeah, all that stuff, the estate planning, phew, still have a lot of that to do, although, although we, our lawyer and financial planner uh, said, uh, your family's going to be fine financially. So uh, that was a lot of tears. And then the final thing is what I'm being taught, you know, and I'm, and I'm accumulating these I'm dying to tell you videos and I can't stop it. I think part of it is, you know, I wrote a book on listening and I'm a psychiatrist. So I've listened for 50 years and I've learned a lot. And and I've been more of a listener than, you know, because the important thing is listening to people, helping them to feel heard and feel felt. You can save lives with that. But I've learned a lot. And, and I'm retired now. And so something's happened, a, a sense of urgency. I, I think I'm, you know, recording a lot of them every day because there's a good chance if I go, into a transplant or whatever, you know, one of the side effects is you get confused. So, uh, you know, otherwise I'll just be doing that, you know, with no hair from my hospital bed. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but to me, so that's, uh, that's a good death. Uh, I intend to do it because I see it so clearly. And my strategy is, Find the most capable, best people. Uh, and it wasn't easy to get through to some of them, like one of the top people at a place called City of Hope outside of Los Angeles and one of the top people at Cedar sinai So it wasn't that easy to get through to them. and uh, uh, But now I have. And so uh, they'll figure out what I do next. And... Uh, and I'm good with it. I mean, I have people telling me, I, I know a lot of people around the world, oh, you got to do stem cells in Thailand. Oh, don't trust the Western medicine. I've got the, you know, these things you can do. And uh, and and I've gotten kind of feisty. And they, they say, you won't let me introduce you to so-and-so? They could save your life. And I say, stop. You know, and part of it is... Uh, uh, I'm not trying to die, but do you follow me? I've got this clarity. I'm at peace with it. I wouldn't be at peace with it if I was 20 years younger, but my kids are launched. Uh, my wife will be okay. She's really close to our kids and our grandchildren. And so... Uh, Try, I, I can't put into the words that the peace of mind I feel is unbelievable. I, I think it's because I just saw what was unimportant and I just let go of it. So is any of this making any sense? We need some more hacky commentary here. No, we need very little hacky commentary because you're making all the sense in the world.
this is uh, this is what you're figuring out. You're able to separate out all of the BS that doesn't count that you used to think really counted. Mm -hmm. And this new you, thanks to this journey you're on, is surprising you because people like you. I feel like Sally Field. You like me? You really like me? <laughs> and no, none of our listeners knows who that is, but whatever. They do, and so many of them do, and they're also going to feel how inappropriate I am laughing with you who I know, and I get what you're saying, and what a journey it is for you to come full circle and say, yeah, this is the calmest I've been in my whole life. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I, I want to share something else, uh, another lesson, then you can give commentary. So one of the other episodes is bathe people in utter delight. Bathe people in utter delight. And I'm a pretty good storyteller, I guess. And so... I am fortunate. I get to see my grandchildren, my four grandchildren, almost every day. My wife was right. Keep the house with the pool, because when they visit, they'll stay an extra 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, whereas opposed to, when can we leave? When can we leave? And uh, so my two daughters will bring over our four grandchildren. And sometimes in the kitchen, there'll be my wife, my daughters, and my grandchildren. And I'm not excluded, but nobody's paying attention to me. Nobody looks at me. Nobody asks me a question. Nobody does anything. But it's very important, you know, I want to see them. I, I adore them all, especially my grandchildren. And here was an interesting thing that leads to utter delight. I didn't think I served any purpose being there. And my daughters could be on their phones, multitasking and whatever. And I think I'm being ignored, but if I pick up my cell phone and look at it, they all give me the stink eye. <laughs> what are you looking at your phone for? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. And and I said this one thing just once. Well, nobody's paying attention to me. And afterwards I thought that is the most pathetic thing you have said in months. And so I, I tried this experiment because, see, if I was my grumpy dad, uh, you know, who could be a little self-absorbed, he would have said, well, nobody's paying attention to me. I'll just go in the other room. And I thought, oh, they may not be paying attention to me, but they notice if I pick up my phone, there's something going on here. So I put the phone down and I, I didn't look at it. But I was thinking about what was on the phone. Is someone emailing me? Is someone texting me? Is am I going to be on hacky show again? You know, am I missing out? Am I FOMO missing out on something? And then I thought to myself, that's pretty crappy. And then I had this crazy idea that even though my wife and daughters who are caught up in the details of the day that I know nothing about, 
occasionally when my grandchildren are there and they're playing with each other, they'll look up at me. Maybe they'll look up at me like, you know, what's going on with grandpa? Everybody's ignoring them. I don't know what they're thinking. But when they would, here's what I learned is I was there to wait for them to look up at me. And when they did, I would bathe them in utter delight. And with my eyes, I'd be communicating, I love you so much it hurts. You're the most amazing thing that's come in my life. I don't cry with them, but but my eyes are alive with adoration. And what happens is they take a second hit. Because most people don't get bathed in utter delight. I don't think I did that with my children when they were growing up. In fact, my kids had a nickname for me. Hi, kids, bye, kids, love you, kids. <laughs> you know, because I had to go run, you know, make a living. But this utter delight thing is really interesting. And so I'm trying it with everyone. Uh, uh, we didn't focus on that. But, you know, when we do some of our follow-up friend Zooms, I hope you'll see in my eyes, geez, hack, it's so good to see you again. As opposed to, what are we going to talk on? How can we make money from it? How can we scale it? Should we turn it into courses? Oh, yeah, we could talk about that. Well, I don't think I'm going to be that much interested in it. But I'll tell you, you can do this with waiters and waitresses. You can do this with anyone. And here's the experiment. You go out, you go to a restaurant. You know, the waiter or waitress serves you. They do a good job. And if at some time at the end, they look at you, is there anything else you'd like? You look at their name tag and you say, yeah, there's one other thing, Nancy. Hey, thank you. And it's not like a thank you. It's like, thank you. And I'll tell you, you start doing this and they'll go, oh, okay. And they walk away from the table and, and they shake their shoulders like, what the heck was that? <laughs> and they do that because it's so rare. So well, I, that's, a, that's a pretty good lesson, don't you think? That's not bad. No, and it leads me to say, Mark, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I mean know, it. I know that. <laughs> Mark, this has been so much fun and so instructive and so helpful in many ways. You have no idea. And yet, you do have an idea because you're doing it. Tell us how our audience can get more of you and learn more about you and more of all the stuff. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I mean, I might do a book. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. First of all, I have to see how tough the treatment is. Because what I've heard is a, a bone marrow transplant is not a walk in the park. 
you know, you're fighting infection every day and, you know, you, you don't have any cells. Uh, uh, my, I don't know why I do this, but probably my most current profile is on LinkedIn. And what I'm talking about, zero people on LinkedIn would have interest in. But, you know, LinkedIn seems to be a place where a lot of people troll and lurk. Uh, something I will add where this may start showing up, I'm the co-founder of uh, the Deeper Coaching Institute at a site called On Global Leadership, ongloballeadership.com, DCI, Deeper Coaching Institute. So I'm the lead person on that, although, and then we have deeper coaching certification. The idea being that when a lot of people get coached, you know, we're not talking sports, but other coaching, you know, a big part of coaching is not just your strategy, but you learn about yourself. And you sometimes learn things about yourself that, wow, that was helpful. Uh, I want to go deeper. And because of my background, you know, a lot, a lot of business coaches will say, well, you may have some limiting beliefs. You may want to see if you can correct those or, you know, a little emotional intelligence could help. And, and that's all fine, but they don't have my background. And so for people who want to go deeper, that's what the Deeper Coaching Institute is. And I'm not sure I'll have enough time, but we're creating deeper coaching certification because there's a number of people who go into coaching. Here's the irony. Here's the elephant in the room. And they'll all chuckle because it's not that funny. What they do is they're in the corporate world. They get burned out. I mean, it nearly kills them. They go out of the corporate world to become coaches. But in order to make a living, they get hired by the corporate world to help people perform better so that in 20 years, their clients can get burned out too. And, and a lot of great coaches want to go deeper, you know, because they realized how their corporate life, they got burned out on and, and, and they're going into coaching, hoping for it to be more fulfilling. And uh, so what's happening is there's a fair amount of interest in coaches in getting certified. And how do you do that? Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, here's the secret. Let go of any agenda you have. Like I did with my kids, utter delight. And here, you don't even need the certification to be a deeper coach. Your client needs to feel that you take utter delight in meeting with them, not just working on what they're working on. You work on that too, but your calling card is they take, they, they, they say, why are you smiling? Because I'm so glad to see you. I think you're terrific. I think you have amazing potential. I think we got to work out the things that are getting in the way, but why shouldn't I be glad to see you? And then you listen with zero agenda of your own. And you only listen for what matters most to them and to help them figure out what matters most to their audience, to their customers and clients.
and you bring it out of them without you having to be the big, you know, the big know-it-all. So, so, you know, so we're liking that. And, and a lot of the stuff that I'm sharing might show up there because uh, a lot of what I'm writing about, people will say, well, that's not superficial. <laughs> Mark, I hope we'll, you come back again to Different Brains. This has been great. And we'll, we'll catch up, uh, of course, uh, separate from Different Brains. This has been nothing short of inspirational, fun, educational, totally enlightening, and again, on very, very, very important subject, and perhaps the ultimate subject when you think about it. And uh, I want to thank you very much. All kidding aside, and I'm not going to laugh. At least I'll try not to laugh. And you know why you're not going to laugh? I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to end it by saying, Hacky, stop, you're killing me, and I don't need it. <laughs>